Welcome. Oh my. To armchair expert. That was horrifying. That sounded like you were drowning. <laughs> Coming out of a swimming pool, gasping for air. Speaking of Monica, I'm joined by Monica Padman. Hello there. The number one man, the Padman. And I'm Dan Shepard, as usual. And uh, we have a very interesting person known as Fresh. Now, Patrick Henry is his professional name, but he is the founder and creative director of L.A.-based luxury fashion label, Rich Fresh. Mm-hmm. Some of the dopest suits you've ever seen in your life. It's so perfectly tailored. I couldn't believe it. it had me wanting a suit. I don't want to wear a suit. I know, but now you do. I really want to do it. Yeah. We got to come up with a really good reason. Reason. Maybe our next live show. Oh, my gosh. Get styled by Fresh. Also, you might know Fresh from Henry Mask, which you use extensively. I do. I love them. They're like really good full coverage, but they don't feel stifling. Mm. Well done, Fresh. And on these episodes, we like to highlight Black-owned businesses. Yes. I'm going to talk about Rich Fresh. I'm going to dedicate an hour and a half to it. Okay. That'll be my ad. I want to talk about KNC Beauty. I don't think KNC Beauty needs a huge shout out because it's a very popular beauty brand. Yeah. But it is black owned, owned by Kristen Noel Crawley. They have such good skincare. Ooh. I love their masks. Oh. And they're kind of Instagram famous. Like you've probably seen the eye mask. They're like a yellow star oh. shooting star. Oh, that's a neat idea because you really look like a bozo in those just normal <laughs> eyelid shaped ones. I know. Yeah. But they're gorgeous and they really, really, really work. So if you want to up your skincare game, please check out KNC Beauty. Just last week on a post, I saw a lot of comments on your skin looking really nice. There were several. Wow. Well, yeah. I probably had just done a KNC beauty mask. But I only sent you the one that said that we look like brother and sister. Oh, yeah. I like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please enjoy Rich Fresh. And don't forget, we are going to Spotify exclusively on July 1st. So download the free app now and listen to our show for free the way you've always enjoyed it. We are supported by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverage I have ever tried in my life. Our mutual friend Howard yeah. emailed me and said, do you actually like Athletic Greens? Uh-huh. And I said, yes, it's my favorite thing I've ever taken for my health. And it tastes delicious. Now, there's so many stressors in life that it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to survive. Busy schedules, poor sleep, exercise, stress, and simply not eating enough of the right foods. That is where Athletic Greens can help. Their daily all-in-one superfood powder is by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your health routine today and empower you to take ownership of your health. Paleo, keto, dairy-free, vegan, gluten-free, and less than one gram of sugar with an uncompromising taste. And right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system. They are offering Arm Cherries a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packets with their first purchase if they visit our link today. You'll basically never have to buy vitamin D again. Simply visit athleticgreens.com DAX and join health experts, athletes, and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash DAX and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. We are supported by choo-choo Amtrak. Oh, wow. Yes, Amtrak has unique access to America with over 500 destinations from hidden gems that feel like distant lands to downtown stations that deliver you closer to the people you've been wanting to see. Everything you're missing is an Amtrak away. People are longing to see and do things again. They want to go back to family, hobbies, and traveling to new places. Now, I took an Amtrak, Bree and I, 
from LA to Seattle for a Christmas trip. And we got a sleeper car. And it was very romantic and enchanted. You just gaze out the window at the passing scenery. I loved it. Listen, you can visit places like Glacier National Park where you can see breathtaking mountain ranges and beautiful blue skies. Or go to quaint seaside towns in Rhode Island where you can feel the salt water in the air. Not only can you go to cool places, but it's cool just riding the train. Amtrak is comfortable, convenient, and just downright relaxing. No more traffic jams, no more pit stops, no more anxiety. Guess what? Amtrak is ready to take you to over 500 destinations across the nation. There are no middle seats, which means you can stretch out and enjoy the ride. No more feeling cramped on long trips. Amtrak even has private rooms you and your whole family will enjoy. So get ready to travel safely and comfortably on your next getaway. Everything you're missing is just an Amtrak away. Book now at Amtrak.com. He's an Amtrak How you doing? Sorry we're late. We had a big technical snafu today. We had to travel from our normal attic to Monica's house to record here because my wife had to record in the attic. And somehow she got priority. Wives get priority. That's just what it is. <laughs> Where are you at? I'm in Los Angeles. I'm in the beautiful hills of Hollywood. Oh, we should have done this in person. Yeah. Yeah, you could have came out here. Like, yes, yeah. the view and shit is dope. You can't see oh, look it. Look at but- this. On the other side of those windows is a beautiful view. This shit just looks like flashlights right now. Yeah, it's, it's a little blown out. You're from Memphis, yeah? Yeah, so I'm from Memphis, but I've been in, um, in L.A. for eight years. To the point where, has it infected you as it has me? Like, I yeah. go home to Detroit, and I'm like, mm, I love Detroit, and also they brainwashed me. I don't think I could live here. Oh, my God, I could never live back in Memphis. Like, that's <laughs> impossible. <laughs> yeah, I always heard about getting jaded. Like, oh, man, don't go to L.A. and get jaded. Uh-huh. I think it meant don't go out there and start, like, mistaking abnormal things for normal. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I never got jaded. Like, I came out, I definitely got the, damn, I got to do more. I got to go harder. It's 20-year-old kids riding around in Ferraris. I'm bullshit. Yeah, a lot of hungry folks. Hungry Lots folks here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lots of pressure. Yeah. I think being from Detroit, it's a don't forget you're a piece of shit like us. Like, I think there's this implied, like, don't get too big for your britches, which I don't think has been my problem. But they're like, oh, what are you going to start eating healthy and exercising? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm guilty as charged and I feel pretty good. I, I guess I should be embarrassed by that. When I go home for Christmas, every relative, like getting my mother's sleeve and going like, he is too skinny. You got to get this boy eating. And I was just average. I just right. was average. <laughs> There's standards, man. I'm vegan, so they're on my ass. You went yeah. all in. I went all in. You know, like, I'm, I'm vegan. I'm sober, so. Oh, you're sober? Oh, yeah. Okay. I read about your story. I know you went from Memphis to New York to L.A. I know you ended up in a shelter. And for me, as an addict, I'm like, there's got to be some addiction in that story. <laughs> oh, hell. It was every, every addiction was in that story. Dude. Are you oh. kidding me? Oh, good, 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 good. I thought if, yeah. if he just ended up there out of... <laughs> <laughs> took a wrong turn. I'm not going to know how to ask any follow-up questions. <laughs> yeah. So how old were you when you started getting interested in clothes? And I guess tailoring was the first shop you set up in Memphis, yeah? Correct, yeah. I was 13 when I really got interested in clothes. 
not with business in mind. You know, I got interested in clothes because I was the second worst dressed kid in my middle school. Uh-huh. <laughs> I always like pretty girls. And when you're the second worst dressed kid and your mom cuts your hair and you're nerdy yeah. and quiet, they don't really like you too much. No. It's easy couple to overlook. Strikes, couple <laughs> strikes against you. Yeah. It's like strike, strike, strike. You're so fucking cute, though. I find yeah. it hard to believe. Right, Monica? Agreed. You've really, you really turned into a handsome gentleman. Well, I turned into... It's like, oh, my God, that caterpillar sure can fly. (laughs) No one ever says that. (laughs) What beautiful wings that caterpillar will have one day. Well, I wonder, hey, I got into hairdressing at that age, junior high, and primarily because I wasn't wild about how I looked. And I was like, oh, I think I can make my hair distracting enough and exciting enough that that'll get the attention and then it also exudes some kind of confidence that I didn't actually have, but it, it worked. And I Absolutely. wonder if like the clothing thing was like something you could manipulate to control how you were seen. One hundred. That's the only reason why I did it. Like, so as I'm finding out later in, my, in life, like I believe that I may have had like Aspergers since I was a kid and just didn't fucking know it. Uh huh. I'm super antisocial, real introverted, serious empath. You know, I got Tourette's and shit. All kind uh-huh. of different shit. So I was just not a cool kid. I didn't feel cool in myself. I just felt weird all the time. I felt like a little alien. Yeah. And yeah, she was not sweet, but I tutored a cheerleader. <laughs> and, she, and she told me like, I think if you dress better, I think girls would like you. You're a nice guy, but you look like shit. Like you got you to change this. So that's what it was for me. I was like, man, I'll do anything. Like, and fashion was like the only uh-huh. thing that I could like naturally do. And so yeah. by the time I got to Memphis, like this is back in Little Rock. I used to live in Little Rock. But by the time I got to Memphis, I'm 15. Even though I don't feel like the cool kid, if I dress like the it kid, maybe they'll think I'm the it kid long enough for me to become the it kid. <laughs> and that's exactly how it happened. Oh, I'm relating to you so much. First, let's go back. So I don't think I have what you could call Tourette's, but I certainly had a level of OCD, which I had a ton of ticks. And I did a ton of stuff repetitively in like It was like a prison. Yes. Uh, I always tell this, like going, I had to be bare naked to shit, which is his own thing. And then I also had to squat on the toilet. I couldn't sit on it. And then I also had to take the toilet paper and run it out the bathroom and touch the wall in the hallway, then come back. But I had to do everything twice. So I had to do that twice, but I was naked and I had to make sure no one in my family saw me. I mean, it was fucking bonkers. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I thought, I thought, man, okay. <laughs> did you ever read, um, the David Sedaris short story, Plague of Ticks. Uh-uh. Oh, you've got to read it. I've never read anything that I felt made me feel so seen. I was like, oh my God, yes, that was my childhood. And then he explains him getting over it by like, he started smoking cigarettes. And I was like, oh, yeah, about the time I started smoking cigarettes, I feel like I started letting some of those things drop. Yeah, same. I started smoking cigarettes and weed when I was 14. Yeah. But yeah, like, I mean, some of the ticks still linger. Like, my eyes twitch all the time. Uh-huh. But I used to make sounds with my throat. Yeah. I used to fucking... Yeah. Oh, it was everything. <laughs> and, like, things have to be perfectly placed. At, like, right now, if you look at my desk, it's fucking wacky. Like, yeah, I got food and shit. But I have all my books have to be organized a certain way. There has to be uh-huh. so much of the other ones still exposed. Like, they've got to yeah. be left justified or center justified or right justified. It's real trippy. Well, the yellow handbag, though, hold on, go back up. Because the yellow oh. <laughs> handbag to me is causing great anxiety. So that's got a little bit on an angle. But they're matching. They they're are all, parallel. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're all at the same. They have to all, Whoa, someone fucking move them. 
Oh my god. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> housekeeping, housekeeping movement. Holy shit. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but this is kind of an asset for fashion. Fuck yeah. You know? Like an obsession with aesthetic and, yes. and, and balance and evenness. The way things look. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, the listener doesn't know what just happened. Like, you just got real serious, and you started adjusting those three bags as if there was, like, a leak in the roof that was going to ruin the rest of the house. Yeah, like, I felt that shit in my soul. <laughs> I got a couple follow-up questions. So one of the voices I used to make all the time was, like, I had to check that I could make that highest-pitched squeak in my throat all the time, where I had to go, like, ah. Like, I had to ah, just let it nope. catch. That was mine. That wasn't yours. <laughs> Well, yours more deep. That Mine were goofy as shit. <laughs> but I used to grunt. Oh, my God. I think I love you. Yeah. Like, if I fucking do it so you hear it, I'll be yeah. doing it for the next Don't five do seconds. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. Yeah. Don't do it. And then the eye thing, not to set that off, but my eye thing was like, I had this tremendous fear that I wouldn't be able to stretch my eyes. And so I had to just keep checking that I could stretch them and, you know what I'm saying, roll them real right. high up. Just, to, yep, I can do it. But then two seconds later, I have the same fear. I can't do it again. I don't even realize I'm fucking doing it. I'll just be talking to someone and they'll be like, yo, what's up with your eyes? And I'm like, what? And like, I was like, oh shit, I don't know if my eyes be doing that thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're owning it in, in the best way, though. Yeah. Did, did you watch the Billie Eilish documentary by chance? Uh-uh. Oh my God, you got to see it. Because she's got to res too, right? She does. And they don't shy away from it. So they'll show her a whole, she'll get clearly like caught on one and she's in it for a minute. And I love that they left it in because I had that shit and I was so fearful that it was so repulsive to everyone. And watching this young, beautiful girl who's so talented do that, and I'm like, yeah, I don't give a fuck about that. Like, that wouldn't bother me at all. At all. It's encouraging. I think we all used to believe that all the famous people were like superhuman and they were perfect. Now we're finding out, no, they're all fucking weird, (laughs) which makes us weirdos more comfortable being weird. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You're right. It's helpful. Like growing up, all the people I thought were rad, it didn't occur to me they were addicts. It didn't occur to me they were like on their fifth divorce and they couldn't keep a relationship together. It didn't occur to me they didn't have relationships with their children. I was just like, Keith Richards, man, he can play a lick like no one else. End of story. And that's just not how it is. No. All right. So I knew I had the tics and the OCD stuff, but someone said to me, you know what that's about? And I said, no, what's it about? And she said, you're taking control over something because you're out of control everywhere else. And then when I kind of went back in time, I was like, oh yeah, that all started with the arrival of my first stepdad. Mm. And so I was like, wow, it's just like that, huh? And I was just wondering if you had that kind of like connection at any point. Mine started when I was, right when we moved from Germany to the States. So I was born in Germany, so I grew up over there for a while until I was like six. And then we moved to North Carolina. And I remember being maybe seven, in our little house in North Carolina, I was sitting on the floor watching TV and I kept making these noises and I couldn't fucking stop making them. And my dad kept getting annoyed. He was like, hey, stop making them noises. I was like, what noises? He's like, noise you keep making with your mouth, stop. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, okay. And then a few minutes later, I'm doing it again. He's like, hey, I got to keep telling you this shit. You're going to have to go to your room now. I'm like, I don't quite know what you're talking about, but I'll make sure I don't do it. And I did it again. He's like, all right, that's it. Go to your room. Turns out, he told me he used to have ticks. He told me later, but his parents was old school, so he's like, "If you if you ticking, I'm gonna beat your ass." Like it was that type of thing. Yeah, dads back then too were like, he probably immediately saw 
that this could be something that made you vulnerable to other boys, like to pick on. Oh, yeah. So you're just like, you're terrified. If, if I don't break this habit for my son, he's just going to be a pariah. Definitely. Oh, bullying? <laughs> I could write you a book about that shit. You must have been a military kid, yeah, if you were born in Germany. Yeah. And my dad was like a drill sergeant, so he was a hard ass. Uh-huh. And I'm the oldest son, so me being the way I am, like I'm very masculine, but I'm very like not masculine. I'm very like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get my hands dirty. Uh, sure, sure. I don't want to sweat like, oh, God, that stinks. I'm that type. I've always been that way. Yeah. And I know he was just like, what the fuck? What did I do wrong? <laughs> and now he's got twitches. Oh, my God. He's like, kids are going to kick his ass. Yeah, it's stressful. Grade school and middle school was rough because I didn't realize that it was Tourette's until high school. Because I was like, I can't be the only person that's doing this. And I saw somebody who actually had something similar and someone called it a tick. And I was like, uh. what the fuck is a tick? And I looked it up and I'm like, oh, that's what I get. And, you know, so it was relief. It was like, oh, my God. Yeah. And then, you know, doing more research, you just find out, like, okay, there's a reason why I am the way I am. Because I'm yeah. the only one in my family that's really, like, weird. You're probably the only one in your family that's a famous clothing designer, though, too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. I forget about that sometimes. It's all a double-edged <laughs> sword, right? It is. It is. I'm grateful for it. Tourette's was so under the radar. Like, nobody knew it was a thing. I feel like until... Oprah did an episode about Tourette's and I feel like everyone was like, oh yeah, that's a thing. Like, I know yeah, people yeah, who Everyone have that. knew somebody yes. who had a little bit of it and didn't know what to explain it by. Yeah, everyone just thought it was like, oh, that's a weird thing, but nobody knew really what to say it was. In the 90s, we thought Tourette's was the person that's just like saying foul shit loud for no reason. We yes. thought that was Tourette's. Exactly. Screaming obscenities different yeah, like, places. Oh my God, I don't do that. But I yeah. also, I can't keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Uh, like, uh. I'm that person that's like, something's out of place. I can be in someone else's house, and a painting <laughs> is on the wall, and it's crooked. Mm. And I'm just like, fuck. <laughs> I have to climb up there, and I have to fix that shit. I can't take it. Uh-huh. Now, back to this stereotypical feminine, masculine thing. Part of my, like, oh, I'm going to have crazy hair. I also dressed crazy. I also, like, fucked with feminine stuff. Like, I had long hair, so I would French braid it. Or I'd mm. wear, like, hair bands to pull my hair back that women wear. In high school? Yeah, in high school. Oh, you was a bad mother. I was also big, so it was easier for me to get away with. I recognize that. But to me, it fell into the same category as, like, the hair and everything else. To me, it was like a trick. Like, oh, this is what dudes are the most afraid to do. And if I do it, it's somehow going to imbue some confidence to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, even in high school, like... No one wore pink. When I was coming up, Hugh didn't wear pink. That's just not a thing. I wore the shit out of pink because no one else would do it. I wore f flowers on my shirts. And I had, like, I've got nice hands. This hand is a normal looking hand. But this hand is different looking. It is, yeah. So in high school, like, I had longer nails. And I would have girls filing my nails in class. <laughs> I was to do, you know, I used to arch my eyebrows. I have a nice eyebrow arch. But yeah. I made them real perfect, real pretty. Mm. Mm -hmm. So a little shit like that that I did that I knew guys would look at, and they would say some shit. People definitely had their fair share of shit to say. I have a theory. There's almost no bad clothes. If they're tailored to you, it's hard to look bad. It's like the key. If shit fits you, it almost doesn't matter what you're wearing. That's 100%. Your shit can be mismatched. You can literally have three different patterns on. A jacket, pant, and a shirt. All that shit can be off. But if the tailoring is impeccable, people will applaud you all day long. Yeah. 
This was just introduced to me, of course, because I'm on television. And I would have never figured this out as just a normal dude. But I started having things. You bring over a suit, who cares? Then they measure you, they bring it back, and you put it on. You're like, oh, my God, now this thing's insane. And the right. suit didn't change. Keep looking at yourself. <laughs> yeah. Look at these shoulders. What do we land an airplane on these things? <laughs> so how did you get to the point where you're like, oh, I'm going to do this professionally? So, you know, after having that conversation with the cheerleader at 13, she told me to check out clothes and I started doing it. Then like 15, we moved, we moved to Memphis and I just changed my whole thing because I was like, no one here has ever seen you. So there's no stigma that's following you. So whatever I present is who I am until I present something different. I figured that out on the car ride from Little Rock to Memphis. And I like came up with this character. You're talking about someone who was, I was the least secure person you'd ever seen in your life. I had no self-esteem. It was terrible. And then I instantly, because I put on the clothing of someone who had very high self-esteem, I became someone with high self-esteem. So I'm doing that and I recognize like, shit, all the girls like me, all the dudes think I'm super cool. I'm very popular. This is crazy. It's because of these clothes. It's got to be the clothes. And then, so I started doing it for other kids. Like my brother needed some help. So I changed his image. And then his whole shit changed. And then <laughs> other kids at school started seeing me like, hey, man, how do you put your colors together like that, man? How do your clothes fit like that? So I started letting kids come shopping with me. Like, look, pay me $20. I'll let you come shopping with me this weekend, and I'll put you up on game. Oh, wow. Yeah, so fast forward to senior year, and I'm like, okay, I'm about to graduate. What do I want to do? I've always wanted to be an architect because I can draw really well. I'm a math, like, wizard. So I just thought it made sense. Then I thought about finance. I was like, man, I could do so many things to make money. I don't know. One day it hit me like, you're not going to actually want to do that shit forever, though. You're not going to want to do any of those things. What would you really want to do? It's like fashion is just so real. Like, you were a nerdy, quiet, insecure kid whose whole life changed because of one fucking word. That word is fashion. Nothing else. Nothing else in your life changed except for fashion. You need to commit yourself to fashion. You owe fashion a debt of gratitude. Ah. So it was just me like making like a universal commitment. Like, all right, cool. You know what? You're right. I do owe fashion a debt of gratitude. It did all the shit that nothing else could do. So I'm going to commit myself. I'm going to figure this out. And so I go and I tell my dad, hey, I've made a decision. I know what I'm going to do in my life. He's like, what you want to do? I want to be a fashion designer. What? Yeah. <laughs> the fuck? Dude in the military. <laughs> what the fuck is a fashion designer? <laughs> and the crazy thing, because like I had like... 15 scholarships. I had so many scholarships to do everything but fashion from Stanford, Yale, Rhodes. I mean, so many amazing schools. And I was like, yeah, I'm not taking none of these. Oh, that'd be hard as a parent. Yeah, it was. He didn't like it. So yeah, we had, yeah, we had yeah. a nice little blow. But I think just <laughs> being that committed to it is what said, OK, you're really going to do this. Because, like, my dad is a ferocious character. He was, like, not to be played with. So to stand up to the only person that you actually would fear yeah. and declare, I'm going to do this with my life, you really meant that shit. And that just set me on, on a path. Like, from the time I was 18, I just was like, I'm going to figure out how to do this fashion shit. It took a long time. It took a lot of crap. You tailored yourself and stuff? Oh, yeah. I made master tailor. So did you apprentice with somebody? No, self-taught. I obsessed over it, man. Like, I started sewing when I was 13 as, like, a covert hobby. No one in my family knew I was sewing. And I did that all the way through high school. So by the time I'm done with high school, I'm familiar with the machine. I know what to do with it. I wanted to, to apprentice, but no tailors would take me on. They were like, hell no, I'm not teaching you shit. Yeah. So I just took out my machine, and I would 
just make stuff. I would like find baby clothes to make or just dresses, just all kinds of shit. I would just do stuff on the machine. And then uh, I recognized that Memphis was not the place for me to get rich as a designer. But I could make some money doing alterations because everyone wears clothes and no one shit fits as good as mine. Mm-hmm. So let me master that. Let me become the best possible alterations tailor. And then, boom, problem solved. So I started doing that. I started a business doing alterations tailoring when I was like 21 for a bunch of cleaners. And then I opened a shop at 22. I started doing personal tailoring like after I closed the shop at 24. And I was just that guy who knows how to make the clothes fit perfectly. I obsessed over it. I wanted to be the absolute best. I'm one of those guys. I don't want someone else's shit to be better than mine. That means I just didn't apply myself. And there was no alterations tailor in Memphis who could touch me. It was very cool. When you decided, oh, I got to go to New York, what was the game plan when you got to New York? Honestly, the game plan for New York was I had maxed out what I thought was my capabilities in Memphis. I thought I'd grown as much as I could. I was like, okay, I need some real pressure. I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to tailor for some big clothing brands. And I tailored for Hickey Freeman. They're big on suits. And I tailored for this company called Take Six. They were in the same category with Brioni. Actually, I had applied to Brioni and they gave my information to Take Six, the most expensive clothes I'd ever seen in my life. Mm. And I'm there every day in my mid-20s by hand. All the other tailors are like 50, 60, and I'm in my mid-20s. The only yeah. black kid, And I'm, I'm the only black kid in any of these tailor shops. But I'm yeah. like super young and I'm American. They're like, oh, what country are you from? What island are you from? I'm like, Memphis. <laughs> 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 Barbecue Island. <laughs> now, I wonder if it was a double-edged sword where it was like you were a novelty. So in some way it like cracked the door. But then when you got there, you realize, oh, the expectations are still going to be limited because I'm black. Like, how did that play out? No, nah, it definitely was not a novelty. Like, it never played to my advantage not the race nor the age. No one ever took me seriously. A, because it's like no one ever knew a black tailor. Like, I mean, now it's a lot more prevalent because of what tailors have done. But back then, hell no. You just didn't know of any. And they weren't young. So for me to be this young kid who's American, I'm English speaking. They're like, why are you doing this, dude? This is, this is supposed to be for people who can't do other shit. Right. This is like grunt work. Why are you doing this? I'm like, yo, it's the coolest shit in the world. So... It was always, okay, well, we're going to have to test your skill. All right, cool. I would be doing like hours of fucking free tailoring just because they don't believe I can do this shit. And then they're like, oh, damn, he can actually do this shit. He did a good job. It was fast. Okay, well, we'll start you, but we're not going to pay you what you're worth, of course. So no one ever paid me what I was worth. But it was like, all right, cool. I'm going to get in. I'm going to get the experience and I'm going to level up. So I did that in New York and then the market crashed. So I had almost a year of working for these two companies, I was working them both at the same time, to just become a better tailor. I just wanted to be the best fucking tailor. And where's the addiction at at this point? There isn't any. Oh, okay. You're regulating your internal emotions with your external work at this point. Which is weird because I was going through some shit. Like I had just gone through a very, very, very tumultuous divorce at a young age. I had a kid, you know, so it was a lot of shit, but I was busy. I was way too busy. I had two jobs. I was in a new city. It wasn't on my radar. I think when I got back to Memphis, I definitely started drinking more. I started smoking cigarettes a lot more. And I had this responsibility. I'm raising my daughter now by myself because her mom is like dipped. So now Mm. I'm like, holy shit, I got this two-year-old girl. I'm a fucking dude. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. So 
I couldn't really engage in many addictions at that point because they're pretty time consuming. Yeah, it's very yeah. time consuming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, it was definitely plenty of times where my daughter would, like woke me up from a drunken stupor. Mm-hmm. But when we moved to the West Coast, I think I, the first time I did coke was in San Diego. First time I did Molly was in San Diego. A lot of my firsts were in San Diego. Yay, way to go, San Diego. <laughs> it's a beautiful setting to try all those drugs, yeah. <laughs> you got to pick a place to get it introduced I to mean, Coke San and Diego Molly. The place, you could do right? worse. You could do worse. <laughs> I mean, it, it's all about perspective, man. You know, it's all about perspective. Gaslight District on some GAC, why not? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Little Italy on some, on some, on some white girl. <laughs> so, but, you know, so... That was that. But, you know, I was down there with my brother. My brother had done all the drugs. Like, he mm. was the wild motherfucker. So he was a rock star of the family. So now I'm here in San Diego with him. It's me, him, and my daughter. He's still doing way more shit than me because I have the responsibility. But every now and then, and it would usually be like when my daughter wasn't around. So for a period, you know, my daughter was staying with my mom because I was sleeping on someone's couch. And that was probably when I started doing coke. But, you know, it was like little casual shit. We had started a hangover cure company. Like me, my brother, and we had a partner. And so part of the hangover cure is you have to be drunk as fuck for this thing to work. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. constantly having parties to prove how well this thing works. So we're getting drunk every single day just to get undrunk. Uh-huh. But, you know, like it still creates a dependence in your body where you're used to a thing you shouldn't be used to. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we're young and invincible, man, you know. Yeah. So fast forward, I get to L.A., while I was in San Diego, my dad had died real sudden. And, you know, he was 52, so that bothered me. It was like, ooh, ooh. he had a stint with drinking. He had okay. like two years of hard drinking, you know, depression. He and my mom split. Two of his sisters had died. He just, he took it real hard. And he's an empath. Yeah. So he took it real hard, and he just started drinking like crazy. Yeah. And then one day he was like, you know what? I'm done with this shit. This is stupid. Let me stop this shit before I fuck my shit up. Too late. And he was making all the arrangements to like get his life together and doing all this big shit. And he's so optimistic with his new outlook. And then, boom. Oh, oh, that is so young, man. 52. Oh, it was brutal. And so I'm dealing with that. And then my ex-wife shows up and she's like, hey, I've been a terrible mom, but I'd love to have a relationship with Ava. It's my daughter. She's like, what do you think? I talked to my kid, and I don't want to be one of them parents that's like, well, no, I have custody. You're never going to see her again. Like, yeah. I don't want to fuck my daughter up. So I agreed to it, and it turned into a nightmare. Uh, like, yeah. a nightmare of, like, them not ever wanting to give your daughter back. Like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. And so I was dealing with all kind of shit, and then just that, and then being broke, and then being here by myself. And then... Coke might not be the easiest thing to find in Memphis, but I tell you what, it's easy as getting Starbucks latte in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here, man, I went to Bar Marmont. Shout out Chateau Marmont. It's so cool. You go in the bathroom and they're doing Coke on the stalls, man. Like, hey, bro, how are you doing, man? You look really cool. Hey, you want to come do some of this Coke with us? You guys are so friendly here in Los Angeles. Wow, uh-huh. sure. So I'm dealing with all this shit that I just didn't take time to deal with. And... Drugs and alcohol and sex make you not have to deal with shit. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Whether you're struggling with anxiety or depression, need help with relationships, or are having difficulty meeting your goals, online therapy might be for you. 
Monica and I both love therapy. Big time. We swear by it. It's so helpful and vital for our mental health. BetterHelp makes it very easy. They assess your needs to match you with a professional licensed therapist, which you can then start communicating with in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. Therapists have a broad range of expertise that may not be locally available. You can schedule weekly video, phone, or even live chat sessions with your therapist. Log into your account anytime and send a message. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great matches, so it's easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more convenient and more affordable than in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Armchairies get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash DAX. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash DAX. We are supported by Squarespace. Get a website, folks. You need a website. You got to sell yourself. Yeah, you got to showcase your work. Maybe you want to blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, or promote your physical or online business. Don't forget, a website is very helpful in announcing an upcoming event or special project. But I can't possibly design a website you're probably thinking to yourself, nor can we, nor could Wabi Wab, but... With Squarespace, he made armchairexpertpod.com the most beautiful place to visit. They have wonderful templates created by world-class designers, powerful e-commerce functionality that lets us sell anything online, the ability to customize look, feel, settings, products, and more with just a few clicks, and the best thing, everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. Don't forget about the 24-7 award-winning customer support. Go to squarespace.com DAX for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code DAX to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash DAX, enter code DAX. I'm wondering if you have a similar thing I did, which is so low self-esteem, no girls like me at all. Then I got this crazy haircut. All of a sudden, the popular girls started liking me. And then that became a source of self-esteem for me. Women, like in a very unhealthy, not fair to them way. Approval from someone I think shouldn't like me. That was the ultimate bump up. I wasn't very promiscuous in high school, but I did love the attention. And I knew that I could command the attention. I knew how to do that in life. But then, you know, I got married. I was in a committed relationship for a long time, but that went south. I got cheated on for maybe five years of my six-year marriage. And so the last year was like my turn. And I had to play catch up. Right. And so it just turned something on that didn't acknowledge the sanctity of sex. Yeah. Being a guy, like I've never been a, a macho, misogynistic type of guy, but that's how most guys are. So it's like this affirmation. You get your value affirmed from guys that think, oh, you the shit, man. Hey, this motherfucker right here. Hey, you should have seen Cub. Hey, man, bro, we're chopping him down. Hey, Cub, bad out here. Yeah, so that's the other layer, too, is like, A, you're getting validation from women, which I so craved. And then also, all of a sudden, dudes think you're like the apex of what a dude's supposed to be doing. It's like working on both levels until you're older, and you're like, oh, that girl yeah. really cared about me, and I was fucking terrible to her. And terrible. that girl, yeah. Ooh. And left scars, especially like when you come from a space of not being the alpha to being uh -huh. handed the crown of alpha. Yeah. You can be alpha as long as you continue alpha behavior. And I like the way that this feels. Everyone high fives me when I walk by. I don't yeah. realize that I'm depleting my soul for high yeah. fives. Well, dude, everyone finds their little road, right? Like, so the dudes who are great at fighting, guess what? They shockingly fought every weekend. <laughs> and then all the dudes high five them. And then the dudes who had a cool car, guess what? They fucking drove the car everywhere. So yeah, the dude that everyone likes that they can get laid, that's what he's going to do. It's all nasty. It's all nasty. Just because you have a skill doesn't mean that that's your power. 
Yeah, yeah. And so I just moved like that for a while and then hurt people, hurt people. And I was scarred from this marriage and I got in another relationship and it was cool. Like I was, I was cool. I was amazing. But then it went south. I just felt rejected. I just felt this sense of rejection because I couldn't get the old relationship that I had just lost back. I didn't care about the marriage, but like, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out here and declare my value. And I went fucking crazy. And then it just became like my frequency. And I was just, you know what? That's what I'm going to be now. I'm a playboy. I've been single for 14 years. Like, I just got in a relationship recently. You know, like now I look back and it's like, man, I did a lot of stupid shit. Yeah. And I found a lot of my value in sex. If mm-hmm. I was depressed or if I was mad or fucked up about something, rather than like, man, why am I fucked up about this? Why am I upset? Why do I feel minimized? I wouldn't do that. I'd say, I need to dominate something. And I would just pick up my phone and just send out eight different SOSs. And whoever responds first is getting my soul. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was driving a car one time, and I had a fight with a girlfriend that had much more power than I had in the relationship. And we got in this fight on the, on the call, and I had been monogamous to that point. And I hung up, and I got a wave of horniness. Like, straight, I'm so fucking horny right now. I have got to call this one girl. And I just had a moment to think. I was like, hmm, that's pretty interesting. Like, you just got physically horny out of nowhere after a fight. And that was the first time I thought, and I was sober, by the way, at that point. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting that I had this physiological response to basically feeling less than on this phone call. And that my brain's that smart that it made me feel physically horny. And I was like, oh, my God, that's how deep it is as a a mechanism for me to regulate not feeling bad it blew my mind i would have never thought it's your body protecting you in my case at least from not wanting to feel less than or shitty absolutely i mean and it makes perfect sense it is a defense mechanism you feel small now suddenly you feel big like you feel more powerful more dominant and if you're not aware of it then you just move with it wrong and i didn't recognize it as an addiction until my final stint in the homeless shelter and that's when it hit me like hmm you have some things that are wrong with you, but you have to acknowledge, like, there's some shit you do that's not normal. Your sexual relationships are not normal. I would do coke by myself in sure. the house. I have to get some work done. Oh, that fuck, let me get some coke. Let me do some yeah. coke. Hey, you know, man, I, I really feel down today. I mean, it's like, nah, Jack, there's coffee. There's all kind of shit. There's, mm. Go for a walk. But what I was doing was masking all these things. I felt like less of a man because I couldn't help my dad. There's nothing. I sat at his bedside and I watched him die. There's nothing I could do. My daughter going to New York, it's like I wanted to change that. But her mother and stepdad had more money than me at the time. So it's like, fuck, I felt less than my relationships with women. Like, I'm still less than because I can't give you more. Yeah. So you were employed in L.A., right? And then obviously all the different things we're talking about right now landed you at a shelter. Yeah, so I worked at the Beverly Center, right in good old sunny Beverly Hills. My very first retail job, but but it wasn't until I quit my job. Like, I started my business. The first weekend I, I was in business, I did like 17000 which to a broke person, that's a lot of money. Oh, yeah. I got this beautiful apartment downtown, this beautiful loft, and I literally took my rent money to get coke and alcohol and other shit and ended up getting evicted. Ugh. So that was my, like, first stint of homelessness in LA. I found this eight by 10 storage unit. And they had a little sink, so 
I could take little bird baths and shit. So I slept there for three months. And then I got a uh, notification that they were selling the building to some developers. They turned into beautiful condos. The guy who now runs uh, my operation, we were just buddies, but he had given me a key to his office so that if I ever had like an alterations client or something, I could use his office. So I'm going to sleep in his office now that I can't sleep in my storage unit. I slept in an office chair for four months, taking more bird baths. I had a rich client who stole 15000 from me, which took the money away that I needed to move into my own place. But I'm still dealing with depression. I didn't realize how depressed I was. And it would just come up out of nowhere. And when it came up, like the only way to deal with it is I got to find something to mask this feeling. Like you've fallen and there's nothing for you to grab. Yeah. I looked up and I'm like in hell. I'm like, how the fuck did you get here? Good looking kid. Yeah. Good looking, talented, articulate kid. How the fuck did you get here? And I spent two months blaming everyone else. It's not my fault I'm here. This guy stole money from me. He ripped me off. Yeah. My ex-wife. Exactly. My ex-wife. Even Tamara's not escaping this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably finding some way. It's her fault somehow. But it was everyone's fault. You know, I had called some friends and let them know, hey, man, I am up shit creek. Can I crash on your couch for a second? Maybe like a day or two. And they were all like, no, we don't do the couch thing. And I was like, what? I thought we were friends. No, now I can blame all of them too. Yeah. I can blame my parents for not being rich. If they were rich, if my dad hadn't fucking died without his life insurance policy, then I would have gotten some money. Oh, woe is me. Why has God turned on me? And it was hell. It was terrible. Self-pity vortex. Self-pity vortex. Yeah. The bad thing with that is you can't find solutions when you're in a state of pity. You're not yeah. thinking of solutions. So I'm chasing this one guy for 15000 He's never going to pay me. Instead of going out and fucking just getting it. Yeah. So I'm bad off like days where it's like shit. Because the shelter, you still got to pay $13 to come back every day. So it ain't free. You're still going to spend 400 a month, like 390 to basically to, to come to jail. And watch dudes kick heroin in the middle of the night. You know what I'm saying? Like, literally, yeah. they snore like fucking wild animals. <laughs> You're taking communal baths and shit with them. And mm. it's just fucking weird. And so I just had a mental break. And, you know, I couldn't tell anyone. I couldn't tell my mom. She'd have freaked out. She'd have, she'd have yeah. had a heart attack. I couldn't have told my brothers because they'd have told my mom. So literally, I have to eat this. I have to hold this. Um, I couldn't even tell my ex-wife. I still had to pay child support every month. I had to find money to pay child support, and I couldn't even feed myself because I couldn't let them find out because they always made me feel bad about not having as much money as they did. That's why I couldn't get my daughter back. Yeah. So it was like, oh, man, I'm in, I'm in a bad spot. And so one day I just, I think I just had a mental break. And I was on the phone with this client, and I was cussing out his voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> I hung up the phone, and that is when God stepped in. I hung up the phone, and I heard loud laughter, like someone was in my ear laughing hysterically. And I'm in the shelter, mind you, and I turn around. I'm like, I know a bum ain't in this motherfucker laughing at me. So I spin around, and there's no one in the room. I hear it again. Where's this laughter coming from? And then, boom, a voice just started speaking to me. And I just recognized it as God's voice, so I knew, like, Time to listen. <laughs> it's time to listen. It was mocking me at first because I hung up the phone like, yeah, I'm such a badass. I'm going to tell this super rich dude to pay my money or else. Yeah. And so God mocked me and was like, you're so big and bad. You're just going to make him. You're just going to make this man give you this money that he ain't giving you this whole time. You're just so bad. Look at you. Yeah. Ooh -wee. It's just funny 
how you've chosen to make this man your God instead of acknowledging me as God. You haven't come to me one time. You go to this guy every single day. Uh-huh. Say out loud that you'll never call this guy again, that you'll never inquire about this money, that you don't want it. He can't be the reason you got out of this. God has to be the reason that you got out of this. So say it out loud. And I had to say it out loud. I'll never call this guy again. I'll never ask for this money again. I don't fucking want it. Yeah. <sighs> surrender. I had to surrender, man. That gave me so much freedom. And then God was like, all right, cool. We're going to work on you and just pay attention. And that was it. And I went to sleep that night and I had this beautiful dream of the future. And I saw it so vividly, it's as if I was there. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. I had this dream of myself and it seems like it was my future self. And I woke up and I didn't feel defeated anymore. Like I woke up and I felt optimistic. Like, I don't know, man, I've had shit like this before, like visions before. That seemed like one of those types of visions that's gonna end up happening. And if that's the case, you ain't got shit to worry about. <laughs> uh, uh -huh. you, you should no longer worry if that's what your future is going to look like. I just thought about it. I was so obsessed with it. All day, it's all I thought about was that dream. And I went to sleep. And I'll tell you what, I went right back to the same dream. But I picked up at the end of it. Okay, pay attention this time. I'm in the dream and I'm telling myself consciously in my dream, pay attention. Notice what you look like. What are you wearing? What's your hair look like? What are you, like all this shit. I saw my car. It was a Maserati. I was like, oh, shit, bro, you got a black Maserati. <laughs> I opened the door. I got in it. The seats were like cordovan brown. Like, yo, this is lit. <laughs> I, I, I hugged the steering wheel. I wanted to feel it. I got out. Well, there was a woman that was walking with me, and my car was parked sideways. Like this beautiful home with this foyer. You're like, wow, this is crazy. And my hair was pink. Uh -huh. And I was like, your hair is pink. And there were like cameras flashing mm. at me. And I was like, you're the center of attention. Because at that point, I wasn't rich fresh. I was just a dude that knew how to make clothes. This is 2018. When I woke up, I was like, okay, that was the future. You just saw a glimpse of the future. All right. And my, my whole shit changed. I was like, you're no longer homeless. You're simply in the homeless chapter of your success book. You're finna be filthy fucking rich. You're going to be somebody important because that guy was very significant. He had all the shit that you've always wanted. Like, he was the boss. He was the guy. He was top of the totem pole. Every day, like, I would just, I had a different mentality about my reality at that point. Like, oh, my God, this is going to be like a pursuit of happiness. Yo, it's like our version of pursuit of happiness. Yo, it's so dope. I'm so grateful. You know what I'm saying? Like, I started being grateful. I started thanking God every day. Like, yo, I'm so grateful for this new awareness that you've given me. I understand what's going to happen. Everyone else here, they don't know what I know. They might feel defeated. Man, I am so victorious in this moment. Once I had that, like, mental shift, money started coming in. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm starting to make money. But I wasn't ready to leave the shelter because I didn't have a plan. I was like, fuck, you're actually starting to make a little bit of money. Like, I look up and I have like $1,500. I'm like, oh, shit, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. So what do I need to do? Spend that money to make more clothes. Stay in this shelter until you have a plan. Spend that money, make clothes, put that shit on the gram. You're not going nowhere yet. You're not yeah. homeless. You're simply in, in a chapter. Don't rush it. And I was like, all right. So I did that shit. And then... Three weeks, three to four weeks after the voice came to me, I was out of the shelter. But it was different. It was like, you'll never be back here. This is the start of the most beautiful experience of your life. But that was that. I still didn't have, like, the power. I hadn't kicked all my shit. I was still an addict. Yeah. I was reintroduced to God. I need to do something that's going to make me a lot of money. I figured the hangover cure is going to make me super fucking rich. Let's do it. But in order to do it effectively, I got to drink all the time. And I have to promote other people drinking all the time. 
Yeah. And my soul got conflicted. Like, nah, dude, your dad died from this, bro. Your dad died from complications of like this. Yeah. Don't do that. That's not it. So I stopped that and I was like, all right, well, I'll just do the clothes. So then I get to this Airbnb and now there's a rooftop. There was a place for me to go every day and talk to God. And I would just thank God, wow, I can remember when. <laughs> uh huh. And then I got antsy and I asked God for more. I appreciate this and all, but I feel like I'm entitled to more. I shouldn't be satisfied with this. I'm, I'm grateful, but I'm not satisfied. So like, it's time for more. Like, I want more. I think I'm worth more. I'm ready for more. Where's more? And God was like, oh, you want more? Yes, I want more, man. I can do it. Like, I've taken everything on that you've ever given me. He's like, all right, cool. Well, what more do you want? I'm going to make $14,000 this month in the next 30 days. How about that? Okay, cool. Real quick, though, what are you going to give up for that? What do you mean, sir? <laughs> this shit ain't free. You got to give up some. What sacrifice are you willing to make for the thing that you would like for me to provide? I was like, oh. And he was like, you know, give up three things. And I just got these flashes of what the three things should be. It should be alcohol. It should be Coke and cigarettes. Those were connected because they yeah, were together. Yeah. Yeah, that's if I did cigarettes, thing. I'm doing Coke. And meat. He was like, huh. Okay, so I'll just eat sushi and fish and... I only drink champagne and wine. I won't do any more Coke or cigarettes. He was like, cool. And that was it. I went right back to like life as usual. Like just putting shit on the gram, just doing normal shit. Just like nothing out of the ordinary. I've never cold called once in my rich, fresh career. I've never cold called. I've never called someone that was not expecting my call to try and drum up business. I've never had to walk into an office building to pass out cards. Not one time. I've never had to do any of that shit that I can't do. Like I'm not... Mentally, I'm not wired like that. Everyone else can do that shit. I can't. Yeah. I did my thing, and I looked up 30 days later, and I made exactly 14 racks. And I was like, time out. That's fucking weird. I just asked for 14,000. Now you give me exactly 14,000. So I went back. I was like, hey, that was real cool. Like, that was really different. I like 14,000. Yeah. But <laughs> that was too easy. Like, I want more. I think I could do 10 a week. That 14 was too easy. I could do 10 a week. So let's do 40 this month. All right, well, what else are you going to give up? You got to give up more, Jack. You're asking for more stuff. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll give up all meat and I'll give up all alcohol whatsoever. And he's like, all right, cool. So I went right back to work, didn't drink a single lick of anything, didn't eat any flesh, and I made $40,000 fucking dollars the next month. I was like, what the fuck is happening? And I'm like, yo... Okay, 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 okay. I got another one. This is trippy. I'm going to keep trying this shit. So I want 100000 now. I want 100000 He's like, all right, what are you willing to give up? You got to make this one big and juicy, Jack. I was like, <laughs> I'll give up sex. Like, I'll go celibate. But not just give up sex. Like, I'll give up my hedonistic mindset. I'll just become, like, more of a spirit man. I'm not going to even communicate with any women in a sexual manner. Everything will just be on a spirit level. I'm going to deal with everyone on a spirit level. And he was like, all right, cool. Do that for four months. Commit to it, four months. I was like, all right, God, I'm going to do it for four months. By the end of June, you'll be done. But just commit to it for four months. I was like, all right, God. So actually, it was three months because it was in April that I did it. So it was April, May, June. So I went these three months, and I was like, hmm, okay. That wasn't as difficult as I thought it would be. And at the end of that three months, I made 100000 And I was like, what in the fuck just happened? <laughs> and so, yeah, at that point, I was like, okay, 
your energy is different, Jack. Like you can do amazing things. That was all I needed. And after that, it was like, okay, God told me like, you'll never worry about money again. Just stay diligent. When people ask you about this story, make sure you tell them that God did it. That's it. Just give them the God part of it. Move a certain way. Operate with high integrity. And you'll never worry about money again. You'll be wildly successful beyond your wildest dreams. And that was just like a real magical experience that people don't get to have, like talking to a voice that talks back to you and guides you and tells you and chastises you when you fuck up. Like, I expect you to do something. Don't fuck up again. Go out there and do it right. It's like, oh, shit, I got someone who's actually checking me. He can see everything I do. Did it ever cross your mind that it's your dad talking to you? I just thought that. I was just thinking that. Actually, it was always my dad talking to me. It was always my dad's voice. That's why I recognized it. Like uh-huh. the laughing in the shelter. Yeah. My dad has a very specific laugh. It's like, he's the only person that got that laugh. Yeah. It's hysterical. <laughs> and that was the laugh. Uh-huh. And when he talks, like he talks in a very like, almost like a smart ass. Like he's talking to you like, oh, you're, so, you're such a badass, ain't you? Oh, yeah, look yeah. at you. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, just going to yeah. make him do it. Yeah. You're cute. You're cute yeah. is the sentiment, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You're so darling. <laughs> But yeah, like that was the voice because that voice has always like pushed me. My dad never settled for average. If I brought four A's and three B's, he bought that shit up and throw it at me. Like, what the fuck is these B's? Mm-hmm. I'm like, they're high B's. I'm like, okay, well, bring them back when they high A's. <laughs> the fuck are you bring me this bullshit for? I'm supposed to like clap for you being mediocre? I'm like, damn. So I 100% have recognized it as my dad's voice. It's just hard to say that to people because people, they just feel weird. So when I say it's God's voice, it's usually, it's easier to explain. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Wondery, and specifically from the Wondery family, Life is Short with our buddy Justin Long. God, we love Justin Long. Oh, he's the most wonderful, charismatic, kind, cute, Everything. He's got it all. Justin talks with celebrities, musicians, actors, and artists about how they get the most out of life. I was one of those guests. I had a really good time being on a show. I guarantee each episode goes beyond what you'd expect to hear in an interview show. He's pretty great at getting stories out of people. He had Bon Jovi on, and he shared that his mom wanted to crawl under the sheets after his performance in a local talent show because it was so horrible. Oh, no. I'm sorry to hear that, John Bon. sad, John. Don't worry. He also asked the hard-hitting questions like, if you could have one snack food for the rest of your life, what would it be? And what is your most commonly used emoji? Listen to the latest episodes of Life is Short with Justin Long on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Wondery, feel the story. We are supported by Solo Stove, the very manageable fireplace we love it we use it all the time what a conversation starter the solo stove is we gather around it it gives you some heat yeah big time warm you up on a cooler night through some proprietary and absolutely revolutionary design there's virtually no smoke where is the smoke monica i don't know i don't understand the science but it's perfect because you don't walk away stinking yeah you do not smell like smoke but you've still had all the fun parts of a campfire and the best thing is is it's not messy. The cleanup is so easy. And let me add, it's gorgeous. Stainless steel construction designed to regulate airflow and burn more efficiently. So little smoke, you'll wonder how there's so much fire. 
Also, the fire pits are portable and they're built to last. They're so confident you'll love it. They've offered a lifetime warranty and 30-day free return policy. No one needs a reason to gather around the fire. Solo Stove just took away any reason not to. And now you can get $10 off when you use promo code DAX at checkout. Just go to solostove.com. And remember, you get $10 off when you use promo code DAX. Well, what's been interesting is as you're saying it, like I don't have a belief in God per se. I believe in some shit, some like symmetry of the universe and stuff. But oh yeah, my dad died really young too. And it's weird. My brother had him as a dad dad. I didn't. But I dream about him all the time. I learn weird shit from him in these dreams. I miss him in these dreams. He comes back as the robust version of himself. Like he was weak at the end and he was yeah. a lot of these things. And I'll see him in his gregarious car salesman peak and i'm like oh that's right you were a bad motherfucker you were doing the thing i do but you were doing it in detroit like there's just a lot of shit so i can relate more to feeling some bizarre connection with my dad that i didn't really even have when he was alive yeah i can certainly relate because like our relationship got a little estranged with like the alcohol it just turned yeah. into a different person he was always very controlled and very like responsible and he, he just came the opposite and yeah. it's like damn god like Everything around you is ruining. It's it's deteriorating and you're watching it. Well, look, dude, I mean, you're genetically half of him. He certainly oh, yeah. had a desire to control in the same way you do, the way I do. And the reason drugs and alcohol rule is because they're a vacation from that fucking daunting task of controlling every little thing around you at all times. Absolutely. It's a vacation. And for me... I love it because it gave me a priority that was attainable. So I wanted to be a movie star. That wasn't obtainable. But staying the right mount high, as soon as I got coke, as soon as I did two lines, I know what my objective is for the next 48 hours. I'm crystal clear. I don't even have to think. Like, okay, good. My life just got real simple. It's that. <laughs> I got to keep snorting that. There's a weird comfort in that until there ain't. <laughs> I used to be a huge procrastinator and there's a comfort there's always a comfort in putting off what you should be doing or in doing some other bullshit instead mm, like mm -hmm. man i got work to do i'm gonna watch tv eh, let me just watch a quick episode turns into four hours now i'm exhausted yeah. it would have only taken me an hour to do my work but i mm. wasted four hours to avoid one hour of fucking work yeah or doing copious amounts of coke for 24 to 48 hours to avoid some shit that if i just if I just took an hour or two to fucking focus on, I'd have figured it out. But once you start, you don't stop. Did you acquire other tools from places? Because the way you talk about your relationship with sex and drugs and alcohol feels like something else is in the mix. Like for me, it was, it's AA, but I don't know. Like you have some aware. Are you in therapy or anything? No. It's got like, you know, books and shit. You know what I mean? I, I, I read books. The only books I read are like Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, Napoleon Hill, Earl Nightingale. Yeah, yeah. How to improve the human psyche, how to make yourself better than you otherwise would be. It's all I've been obsessed with. So I had just different quotes to pull from as I dealt with shit, as I felt weak. I would mm -hmm. pull a quote from something. And then just, I mean, I got a really strong relationship with God and I prayed for something. You know, it's like people talk all the time about making deals with the devil. I made a deal with God. Like, I legit made a real legit, like, signing in blood on the rooftop. I made a deal that I'm going to move a certain way. As long as I move this way, 
I'm going to continue getting all these things that mm-hmm. you've promised me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to like give God glory in all things. And if, as long as I do these things, it's just, it's an agreement. Just like anything else, you know, you married, you know, you have an agreement with your wife and there's certain things that just, you can't go back on that agreement or mm-hmm. it severs that relationship. Mm. And I'm just aware that like, I'm so fucking blessed. I left the shelter with 300 bucks and no one fucking with me in a city that I didn't know anyone in. And I made a million dollars off 300 bucks. Yeah, it's incredible. Your story's bonkers. I mean, the, first of all, I am a hillbilly, so I don't know your shit. But I started looking images of all your suits and they're so awesome. Oh my God. And they all fit the people like crazy absolutely your shit's the best there's a picture of you it's like seared in my mind of you in this like it's almost like pea coat material but it's got a checkered pattern and just the way that thing fits it's a little long but it's tight everywhere it's supposed to be it's like yes yeah, seared into my mind you're a crazy artist thank you man and then obviously in pandemic you do henry mass which monica has a bunch of them yes they're fantastic and that was crazy successful yeah, things are just on the on the rise, which is so great. I mean, your clients are incredible. Everyone who's anybody wants Absolutely. your stuff. They're all one-offs. I mean, everything's just so unique and novel and cool. You're really incredible. For I mean, for me to be like, woo, there's something going on <laughs> it takes there. A lot. That, it it's takes not a, lot. a motorcycle, so I don't really <laughs> tend to care about anything other than those. But yeah, I mean, it's really awe-inspiring. I, I would urge anyone who's not seen your stuff to just Google image your clothes they're incredible some of the suits are just outrageous absolutely i actually was looking at them like hmm i wonder if one day i'll try to pull one of those off like maybe i'll have some special you could easily like (laughs) it might not be the colorful shit with all the stripes but like you in a tailored suit like Mm. you kidding me absolutely it makes all the sense i keep it reservoir dogs usually i just like them tight i like them a little floody and I like mm-hmm. a skinny tie. That's about the whole <laughs> breadth of my suit fashion. So I'm ready. You're definitely ready. We can get it. I need some rich fresh. <laughs> well, dude, your story is incredible. And I really just enjoy talking, especially the, the OCD stuff we share. It's not often we have a guest on where I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that with my eyes. <laughs> I mean, right. Monica can tell you. She can tell if I'm in a house within two seconds of being anywhere. Because Lots you hear me. of throat noise. A lot of throat clearing. Yeah. A lot of throat clearing. <laughs> How about when you brush your teeth? Do you brush your tongue until you gag? Almost. Okay. Yeah. You should try that. I find that so, like, to me, that's how I know I did my job. Like, I'm throwing up now. So we're there. Like, <laughs> eyes are definitely watering. If your eyes yes, aren't watering yes, yes. and your tongue isn't pink, you, you still got more work to do. So back to work. That's right. Roll up your sleeves and get back in there. <laughs> You're not uncomfortable physically yet. Well, dude, great meeting you. I wish you continued success, and I, I can't wait to bump into you in real life. Yeah, we'll make it happen. We'll talk the bondage of masculinity. (laughs) It is bondage, man. I think once we get that one off, you move so much further in life when you're not unnecessarily macho. It's not necessary. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think we are all coming to terms with how destructive it is to women, but I I think it's what's newly being looked at, which I'm grateful for, is like just how fucking destructive it is to us. Like we just kill ourselves too or just rack up all this wreckage and regret and shame it's fucking brutal we hold ourselves to like standards that aren't ours no it's like uh 80s action hero movie <laughs> smoke all the marlboro reds and, you know, yeah yeah no seatbelt action over here <laughs> no 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 that's a weakness 
I'll go through that windshield with a smile on my face. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, no, don't do that. <laughs> you have a family to think about. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the new, the new mindset is like, think of your family and the people that care about you. I think women do that much better than men do. And I think it's like, we should learn so much from women. Like, they have to move so differently to think about all these other people. And men yeah. are just like, we just think about us. Yeah. It's, it's the me show 24-7. Well, Fresh, you're radical. I'm so glad I got to meet you. And again, I hope I bump into you in real life. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Both Dax and Monica, love you guys. Punk was one of my favorites, so you're you're a legend for that. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) All right, brother. Bye. Talk to you. Talk soon.